Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. everybody. It's great to see all of you here. Hey, uh, before we get into our scripture this morning, let me just say thank you on behalf of Bethany Community Church. Uh, It's my honor to pastor Bethany, and I have so for, this is year seven for me, but um, I'm really honored to uh, pastor alongside of Pastor James and your elders, and I just am constantly in awe of how God has so graciously brought our congregations to share this space together we feel a deep sense of gratitude for your friendship and for uh, your hospitality. So uh, thank you for continuing to uh, welcome us. Thank you for navigating through our outdoor Sunday school when we kind of clog up the the nice entryway under the portico. Thank you for continuing to be so gracious uh, to us. Uh, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but before I do, I invite you to pause with me and take a deep breath. I'm going to light these candles as a sign of uh, the illumination that God's word provides in our lives and an invitation for him to illuminate our time together. So join me in silent prayer and then I will pray for us. Let's pray. Mighty God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this friendship between our churches. Thank you that an expression of that is just sharing in something that we both treasure and that is your word. And thank you that your word is faithful and good And it challenges us. This word has challenged me this week, so may it be a challenge to this church, to their mission and ministry as well. May the words of my mouth and all that we consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, So I grew up in Houston, Texas at a very large Presbyterian church, came to faith in Christ through uh, my youth leader, who uh, continues to be a great mentor to me. And after I came to faith in Christ, I went to college at the University of Texas at Austin, which we are having an abysmal football season. So let's just get that out of the way. It's bad. Like, UW is bad, but we real bad. And so uh, when I was in college, I studied English. I had no idea that God wanted me to uh, move toward ministry. It wasn't even on my radar screen. Um, But I had a professor named Dr. Trimble. And so I'm going to tell you all a story about Dr. Trimble. Dr. Trimble taught English at the University of Texas for more than 20 years. So by the time I had him, He was one of the most well-respected and well-regarded figures in the university. And you can imagine that at a school that size, there's hundreds, if not maybe even a thousand professors. And Dr. Trimble was a standout professor. He was a great guy. He understood his students. He taught really challenging classes, but really good classes. And so I took one class from Dr. Trimble called 20th Century American Short Stories. So we read Flannery O'Connor and William Faulkner and like all these great kind of literary names. But along the way to that, Dr. Trimble and I developed a friendship. I would say he was a mentor to me. 
And so even after the time that I was in his class, I would go and sit with him and visit with him. And you know, these are the things that you can do as a college student. You can just sort of wander into your professor's office and just talk. Uh, and Dr. Trimble was always so hospitable and so gracious. And so the time came uh, toward the end of college for me uh, to figure out what I wanted to do next. I had always assumed that I was gonna go into the legal profession. Uh, some of you know this, I come from a family of lawyers. I'm starting a support group soon. Uh, my father was a lawyer, two of my brothers are lawyers, I have cousins that are lawyers, like we got lawyer jokes all over the place in my family. So that's the route that I thought I would, I would go to, and many of you probably had the same thing. You watched your mom or your dad practice medicine, or you saw you know, your uncle was an accountant, like you were inspired by the people around you. And so I earnestly thought I would go be an attorney. And then it came time for me to take the law school admissions test. And I told Dr. Trimble, hey, I've got the LSAT, that's the acronym, uh, coming up next week, I'll let you know how it goes. And he said, great, I hope it goes well. And I took the law school admissions test and I bombed it. I mean, it just kicked me in the teeth. It was a very clear sign that I should not go to law school. Like, this is abundantly clear now, this pathway is closed to me. And those of you who have you know, gone through that and have experienced it, like, grace be upon you, there are pearls in heaven for you. So I figure out through pain and distress, really, like this is not the route I'm supposed to go. So I go to Dr. Tremble and I say, hey, I, man, I bombed the LSAT. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And Dr. Tremble, uh, if you think about it, at this point in his career, he's had hundreds if not thousands of students. He's had college kids just like me sitting in his office for decades saying the exact same thing. So he has every reason, as many of you who are further along in life than I am, every reason to kind of say, really? I, I wonder why that happened. Like, kind of this like wisdom of the years, but it's shaded a little bit with some arrogance. He could have done that. Could have. He didn't. He said to me, Travis, why do you want to go to law school? And no one had ever asked me that question before. They just kind of assumed this was a good trajectory for me. Why do you want to go to law school? And then he said something I'll never forget. In our years of friendship, I had told him about the involvement I had in the church that I went to in college. And that church was really where I got to see the beauty of the church and what the church could be and I would argue should be. And so I would tell him about, you know, we went on mission trips with high school kids and we were, you know, doing stuff in the community and all these kinds of things. Not in a bragging way, just in a, hey, here's what our church is doing kind of way. And Dr. Trimble said to me in that conversation after I failed the law school admissions test, he said, you know what you need to do? You need to go do that stuff at your church. That's what you need to do. That stuff you do with high school kids where you go on mission, that's what you need to do with your life. And I just thought, well, I wasn't expecting to hear that. But it turns out he was right. And I thank God for the gift and the blessing that it is to be called into ministry. And I think voices like Dr. Trimble's are incredibly important no matter what stage in life you're in. Dr. Trimble did not have to share that word with me. He probably could have just nodded and said, yeah, sorry, hope that, hope that works out well for you. I don't think our world needs more nodding and passive acceptance of things that are happening around us that we can uniquely shed light into through the power of Christ. The world does not need the church to simply sit idly by when evil things are happening around us. The world does not need Christians to voice agreement through silence with things that are clearly wrong. Now, 
Some of you may be kind of feeling the pin prickles of like a political statement here. I am deeply apolitical in the pulpit. And so I am not going to advocate for a party or a conviction or whatever. What I am going to say is, and I believe the scriptures are going to say, is there is a calling for you and for me that the scriptures call speaking the truth in love. Would you say that with me? Speaking the truth in love. You have probably read this passage before. You have probably heard sermons on this before. The offering that I would like to hold out before you this morning is this. Dr. Trimble did not have to speak the truth in love to me, but he did. Because he saw something I couldn't see. And you can see things that other people can't see. And speaking the truth in love is a two-way street. You don't just get to go drop truth bombs on other people. You need to be able to receive from others when they see in your life a sin, an error, an omission, and go, you know what, I need to receive that too. Speaking the truth in love is a two-way street. It is a vehicle through which Jesus brings about maturity, which is what the scriptures point us toward, in followers of Jesus, and it blesses the world because it creates this wonderful description that we'll see later on in the text, a healthy body, a healthy commitment to one another. The outcome that we'll see in just a moment that is desirable for those who would like to speak the truth in love has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the world around you. So join me now as we look at this text together. I'm going to be reading, and I invite you to hear this word in your hearts from the Lord. This is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Listen, that by faith you might hear God's word for you this morning. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. No, instead, we will, what church? Say it with me, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to offer you an outline as we begin our time together today. Uh, four different pieces. So if you're a note taker, you can write this down. We're going to talk about context, what's happening around the passage. We're going to talk about posture. What is our posture as we seek to both speak and receive the truth in love? The vision of where this is all going and then very practical next steps. Context, posture, vision, next steps. What's the context? This is the letter to the Ephesians, which was written by the Apostle Paul. Most scholars agree it was written around AD 60 or 61. And the reason that's so important is because there have been two generations, roughly, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A generation is roughly 25 to 30 years. So since Jesus was resurrected from the dead, there's been that group of people that were alive when it first happened, and then their children, and then maybe some of their grandchildren. So we're two generations removed from the birth of the church, the founding of this movement around Jesus. This is happening in a context that should be inhospitable to the church in every way. The Roman Empire was like trying to grow crops on the surface of the moon. 
There was no way the church should have done what it did in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was pagan. The Roman Empire despised and rejected the value of human life. The Roman Empire encouraged a recreational sexual ethic. The Roman Empire was terrible in every way that we can conceive. Yet, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his mercy, built and birthed and brought about thriving in his church over these generations since his resurrection. It shouldn't work, but it does. And what that group of people did that we can do too in our day of a recreational sexual ethic, of a disregard for the value of human life, of all the other social ills that we can list, what they did, what we can do, church, is to take the gospel seriously. Take it very seriously. And when Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church, he's writing it to them in a particular setting, but he's also doing something very strategic. Some scholars believe that this letter was written almost to be like a user's manual for the church, no matter what context you were in. Now, scripture is always useful no matter what context you're in, but in particular, the book of Ephesians, some scholars believe this, was written to almost be like a transferable set of knowledge and principles upon which any church, every church, should be founded upon. Case in point, Ephesians 2, chapter 8. This is the church's foundation. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you're a Christian, what does your church believe? What do you believe? What's this, what's this gospel that people are talking about? Church, here it is. God saved you by his grace when you believed. That's it. We're done. Everybody go home. Bye, 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 bye. That's it. That, that's the ballgame. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Anybody else believing something else growing up? That was me. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Church, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul includes this early on in his letter to the Ephesians because he wants them to be crystal clear that everything he calls them to do later in the book of Ephesians is built on this foundation. You cannot speak the truth in love or receive truth spoken to you in love absent the foundation of the gospel. You can't. Because you don't have the authority to speak it into someone else's life unless you're clear about the person and work of Jesus Christ and you don't have the security to receive it. It'll tear you up to hear the truth spoken in love to you if you don't have the foundation of Jesus' love and acceptance and grace as your foundation. It is too powerful to be received easily. And let me remind us of this. If you're kind of percolating on someone or something right now where you're going, man, I need to go say the truth to someone or I need to have a conversation. Let's get the truth out. I got to talk to my mom. I got to talk to my dad. Let me just say, hold on. You need to pray, which we will talk about later on. And you need to recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be your foundation, whether you deliver the truth well or you fail. And it will be your foundation when you hear a word that you did not want to hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? You will not be able to hear the truth spoken to you or offer it absent the security of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will go badly. So don't haul on out of here to go drop some truth bombs on your neighbor for leaving their dog's mess in your front yard. Don't do it. Because you haven't prayed about it, and that has, that has nothing to do with gospel. But you need to be formed by the gospel in order to give and receive that. That's the context. Now let's talk about this posture piece. Where is this in the text? Look at verse 13 with me. 
This is the second part of verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes this. He's, sorry, he's been talking about pastors and teachers, leadership positions in the church. He has this great line that every pastor should have emblazoned on their wall that says, the purpose of leadership in the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is our calling. And then he says this. What's, what's the point of all that? We will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The way this is written sort of in the syntax, mature, what do I mean when I say mature? Is explained here. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. What does that mean? That word for mature in the New Testament Greek is teleos. Say that with me. Teleos. T-E-L-I-O-S. Like telephone. It is whole, complete, perfect. An Old Testament equivalent would be the word shalom. In Matthew 5.28, Jesus uses this word when he speaks to his disciples. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the way that I would nuance that a little bit is this. Jesus is not calling you and me to never make a mistake. If you think Jesus has called you to never make a mistake, you're not following the same Jesus of the Scriptures. Jesus is instead calling you to say, take steps toward this goal. This goal of the full and complete standard of Christ. The character of Christ. The very being of Christ lived out in your life and actions. There's this great philosopher that I admire, Dallas Willard. He was a Christian. He taught at uh, the University of Southern California for 50 years. And he said the goal of the Christian life is to actually become the type of person that lives your life in such a way that if people were to see Jesus living your life right next to you, you would be almost identical. If Jesus was raising your grandchildren, if Jesus was cooking meals, if Jesus was going out to get the mail, if Jesus was having a conversation with your neighbor, your life, my life, this is a high standard, should reflect the person and work of Jesus Christ in such a way that people kind of go, is that Jesus or is that thorn over there? I can't tell. Can we achieve that standard in this life? No. No, 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 no. But that doesn't make it an unworthy standard. It doesn't make it an unworthy goal. It is instead the high watermark that Jesus longs for his disciples to have. So if this is the goal, full and complete standard of Christ, the very character and nature of Christ living in your life and in mine, doesn't it make sense that those people who live that way, that they can hear a hard truth shared with them and it doesn't knock you down, And they can deliver a hard truth to someone else. And it's not about you. And it's not about being right. And it's not about winning. Dr. Trimble did not need to deliver a hard word to me to feel better about himself. He was a tenured professor at a major research university. What does he care about getting some satisfaction out of putting me in my place? No, 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 no. This is where that phrase needs to come back to us, church. Speaking the truth in what? In love, not in malice, not in I need to be right. Speaking the truth in love. Love seeks the flourishing of the object upon which it is directed. If you have a relationship with someone, if you're able to speak the truth into their life, you better be thinking about whether what you say to them is good for them. Can, can, not just, can I be nice in delivering this, but will this word lead to their betterment? Will it lead to them growing? Dr. Trimble saw me floundering and trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with my life, and he had a clear line of sight into something that I couldn't see. And he didn't need to do that for himself. He did it for me. So would you be willing to speak the truth and love to someone else? Not for you. Not to be applauded. 
not to email me in a week and say, hey, I did what you said, but for the betterment of someone else. Would you? Could you? This is so hard to get to. It goes against our character to hear a hard word because we want to fight against it. We want to say, no, 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 you have no idea. No, you can't, you can't say that I didn't do that the right way. You can't say that I you know, raised my voice with my children. I was angry at them, blah, 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 blah. Well, if you do it 50 times, it's a problem, isn't it? I have a mentor who uh, pastors a church in the area, and he says anytime someone brings him a critique, anytime someone says to him, you know, pastor, Sunday service wasn't so great, and he's been in ministry a long time, he actually stops, prays in the moment, and says, Lord, let me hear the kernel of truth that might be embedded in this word, whatever it is. And that's not to say that he finds truth in everything, but he's at least open to the idea that someone may be bringing him a word that he needs to hear. I really admire that because I don't do that. You know what I do when someone brings me a hard word or a critique? I go, okay, it's on now. Let me see if I can come up with a way to combat your argument. Let me see if I can find flaws in what you're saying here. If I just kind of fracture this argument, it'll crumble like a house of cards. Can I hear a hard word? How is your heart when someone brings a truth to you that you don't want to hear? This is especially difficult in the intergenerational church, a church that actually reflects the diversity of the ages and stages of people in life in the community around them. It is incredibly difficult. Another question to ask yourself, can I get over my fear of rejection to share a hard word with someone else? I don't know about y'all, but rejection is very difficult for me to handle. It is very difficult in our day because we live in such a polarized time to think, you know, if I share this word with someone, they might just cut off all contact with me. They might just, I might never hear from, the, from them again. And I really sympathize with parents and grandparents who fear this as you try to speak this into the lives of your children and grandchildren who you are seeing making pretty bad decisions. I know many of your stories, so I know this is a reality for a lot of you. But we cannot passively disengage because that's not working real well for us as a country. We need to ask the Lord for his mercy and his wisdom to find a through line between, yeah, I hear you and I can engage with you right now and this is not the time or the place to do it. Case in point, yesterday I was uh, working out with a group of my friends and one of my friends who I've had many good conversations with sees COVID, sees the world, sees politics very, very differently than me. But we've had really good conversations. We've been in relationship together for a long time now. He's my friend. I trust him. He trusts me. We just see the world very differently. And he was telling me about how he's thinking about moving, uprooting his family and getting out of Western Washington because, in his perspective, the political and social climate here is antithetical to the kind of life he wants to live. That's his opinion. And I've got neighbors on my block who are moving, same reason, same direction. I bet you all do, too on both sides of the argument, I might say. And what I said to my friend was, hey, listen, I don't want you to move because you're my friend. And I think it's antithetical to civil discourse to just rip up your roots and leave. How is moving away from this little echo chamber, which we have in Western Washington, how is moving away from this echo chamber and going to a different echo chamber better for you or better for your family or better for your children? Help me understand that. You're trading one for the other. 
And, you know, then we ran off and did some more exercises and came back. And this is my friend. And he said to me, you know what? I don't agree with you, but I appreciate what you said. And I don't honestly care if he changes his mind. But I'm tired of passive disengagement with my neighbors. I'm tired of it. It is not working out well for our country. For followers of Jesus Christ, with sincere gospel convictions, to just sit there. It's not working out well for us. And we need to be very careful about who we are pledging allegiance to. We need to be very careful about where our loyalties lie. Our loyalties lie with the person and work of Jesus. Not some party, not some movement, not some whatever. But the key to trying to understand whether you are called to engage or to just kind of wait for your time to engage is the relationship you have with that person. Can you honor them through that conversation? Can you speak the truth in love and then later on go, you know, if you don't agree with me, like, whatever. I don't need to win, is the point. Do you need to win? Don't have that conversation if your heart's just wanting to win. If your heart is caring and compassionate, and I'm not saying mine was or that I'm perfect about this, far from it, but if you really want to engage somebody, you, got to be walk, you, you need to walk that line very carefully. And here's the vision that we need to align to. I'll say this briefly, then we'll talk about next steps. This is the vision for speaking the truth in love. This is what happens in the world when followers of Jesus Christ take this seriously. Take speaking the truth in love and receiving the truth in love seriously. Here's what happens. Are you ready to see it? Here it is. Instead, we will speak, say it with me, church. We will speak the truth in love. Come on, church. Speak the truth in love. There you go. Growing in every way, more and more like Christ. There it is. Who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The vision of, sharing, of speaking the truth in love is a healthy body. Think about all the parts of your body that are not healthy. Like, I had LASIK a couple years ago, otherwise my eyesight would be terrible. Think about all the parts of your body that are not healthy. Think about the desire that Jesus Christ has for a healthy body. Healthy churches can transform the neighborhood around them. They can, I've seen it. Healthy churches can transform neighborhoods, which can transform cities. Cities can help transform regions. Regions can help transform nations. And if you long for that, this is your vision. That the whole body operates around the health and fullness that only Jesus Christ has to offer. And that's what you're getting after when you're speaking the truth in love. It's not, I need to be right. It's not, I need to put my grandson in his place. It's not, I need to tell my spouse that once and for all, I'm right, you're wrong. If that is your motivation, don't you dare say it. It is, is this moving our community toward greater fullness in Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ more and more fully revealing himself through what I'm about to say to this person. And this brings me to next steps, which are really important. I've alluded to some of these, but I want you to really consider this. Speaking the truth in love is not something you can just haul off and go do. And I would just say too, part of my error in talking with my friend yesterday who wants to move, I did not take a moment to just pray over what I was about to say. I should have and I didn't. I thank God that it worked out well, but I need to kind of abide by what I'm going to tell you guys to do too. Speaking the truth in love, first and foremost, is surrendered in prayer. 
If you feel convicted that you need to have a conversation with someone, you've been thinking about them while I've been talking, you need to pray for that person, you need to pray for their family, and you need to pray for the conversation that you hope to have. And do this, literally, just open hands before Jesus Christ saying, I think I need to have this conversation, Jesus. What do you think? If you're telling me no or you're telling me not yet, I really need to be obedient to you. And ask the Holy Spirit for power to be obedient. Surrender that conversation in prayer. Secondly, remember that speaking the truth in love is not just about talking. Speaking the truth in love is about listening. The people who have the greatest permission in my life to speak truth to me are the ones I listen to the most. Do you, do you, do you get that? There's a, there's a causal relationship there. There is a correlation there between I listen to people who have permission to speak the truth into my life because I need to be listening for the truth. And if I'm listening for the truth, I'll get better at receiving the truth, which I don't often want to hear. It's more than just talking. It's about listening and reading the room. Jesus models this in John chapter 8. At the beginning of John 8 is when the woman is caught in adultery. She's drug out before him in a shameful and scandalous moment. And what does Jesus do? He gets up and gives a speech, right? Nope. He stoops down and he draws in the dirt. He buys time to listen, to think, to pray. Who knows what he's doing in that moment? But you know what he ain't doing? He ain't talking. Speaking the truth in love begins with listening. It's not just about trying to fill up the air with words. It involves prayer. and involves listening well to others. Church, this is our high calling. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. But out of the, the fullness and the sureness of the gospel we can be a people who move away from passive disengagement and just letting sleeping dogs lie and who's willing to get into the truth with others. And our world will flourish when the people who believe the truth of the gospel enact the truth of the gospel in loving ways to our friends and neighbors. May it be so. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this word and I pray that anything that was spoken from my heart that was of me would be quickly forgotten and everything that was spoken from your heart, Jesus would stick with each of us. We need you. We long for you to bring the clarity of purpose and the vision that we need. That image of, your bod of the body of Christ and the body, the whole world working right. Oh man, we need that. So would you bring that to life in a powerful way? Lord, for each of us, there are people in our hearts that we may be thinking about speaking the truth to. Would you just help us to press pause and even now in these moments, hold out to you, Lord, I'm thinking of this person. I'm thinking of this situation where I think the truth really needs to be spoken. Or maybe some of us, we had a hard conversation the other day and we're going, you know what, that person really tried to speak the truth to me. And they were doing it in a loving way. Lord, wherever we are coming from, would each of us have the chance to say, Jesus, I surrender this to you. I believe you are good and I want to hear from you. Make this right. Don't let me try to control it. Instead, let your will be done. We love you, and may this word fuel us for the work that you would have us do, the work of ministry in the week ahead. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.